0: back we are back welcome everyone to match point number nine a tennis best podcast i am one of three hosts here david ej Berger. you can find our show handle at mp9 tennis on twitter and all the socials these days if this is your first time listening chances are how you found us welcome in hello if you're a returning listener a returning champion welcome back derek unfortunately not with us once again but i'm still going from california to canada here folks mr john reed is with us you can find him at jared tweets tennis on twitter he does betting content for his own brand at tidbits tennis he writes for the action network betting expert hammer hq he does tennis form recaps john welcome in oh man i'm excited at, it's grand slam time let's
1: be real here it, it everyone thinks the two weeks are, are all that the grand slam consists of but there are a lot of matches coming up in the next week and qualifying of it's part of a tournament And that begins, I believe, on Monday, maybe Tuesday. I'm not sure. Either way, point is, I am pumped. We are just days away from like 128 first-round qualifying matches on the grass. Lesser-known players, which means more room to potentially find edges.
0: Bring it on. Sorry, Avery, literally just Avery Zimmerman, frequent guest of the show, just hit me up a DM. I mean, Demonor plus money, four question marks, followed by... Another uh ten question mark <laughs> response. Oh <laughs> uh, yes, we have semifinals to talk about coming up. We're gonna get into it, but yeah, we're gonna be on Alex Demonor. He's at even money on Bavada right now, waiting for it to come up on Bet Online. If you can get a plus money bet against Runa with Alex Demonor, yeah, take that. Just stop listening and go play that right now. You don't need to wait for us. Uh, but let's hop into our accountability section in the segment we call What Did We Win? What Did We Learn? Wins, Shelton, Luceci, over 22.5 at minus 125, cash it. The over 2.5 sets that John talked about, plus 140, cash that. Cameron Nori 2.5 against Jordan Thompson, cash that. Corda money line, plus 135. I won. John learned on that one. He had foe. Dimitrov, laying three games against Francis Rundelow cash that as well losses uh we did talk about a, a first set over and a tie break with shelton and musetti those don't come in john was on nakashima money line plus 130 against uh, rba that doesn't come in shapo volov never shapo john <laughs> he loses to Zverev at uh over plus 200 you want to know the worst part about that one is i was
1: watching that one for tennis form so it wasn't like i could just rage quit after the two six because i had to watch the second set i had to like get a feel for what was going on. I mean, I think the feel was established pretty freaking early if we're being real here, but you still got to watch it through. You still got to check out the, the winners unforced error numbers. You still got to recap it. So you got to watch the whole damn thing. So I'm sitting there like, oh my God, why am I still watching this match? Plus I just, you know, there's no over, no shot at the over. There's no shot at the money line comeback. Maybe if Chapo looked remotely Like, he had a pulse in a single return game for a set and a half. Maybe you could be like, oh, well, there's a chance the over might slip in. No, it was dead on arrival. And uh, I will say, like, that was especially bad. Like, Shapovalov's bad, just like Grigor, right? Like, these guys, they're disappointing. But that was a special level of shit from Denis Shapovalov. And, I mean, it's been a season full of that. So for him to look that bad, that was impressive. It was like he can't get any lower. He has not done anything his last 10 tournaments. He's out consistently before any kind of deep round where we could, you know, potentially see, hey, this is a breakthrough. And yet he still managed to find a level lower than he has in 2023. I was impressed with that. It's hard to suck that badly with that much talent. Apparently easy for Chapo though, John. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's consistent If nothing else, he's consistently bad At tennis, like bro, just quit Go do activism with your your Players Tribune article, go Sit on the Players Council, or lobby The WTA for more cash, like You're useless on the court, get off the court And go do something else, like you're terrible, dude Stop embarrassing Toronto, more C- Canada as a whole But more so Toronto, I'm embarrassed By this guy, you should be <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a fine person now
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I don't care about him as a person. I care about <laughs> as a tennis player. <laughs> All right. In London, uh, on the outright market, let's pivot over to the outrights. We talked about Corda uh, took down Giafo, like we mentioned. Uh, that was John's pick for a quarter a quarter winner. Uh, Fritz falls for me again and mentioned some longer shots as the top two seeds in Runa and we were both shaky at grass or just didn't have a lot of grass data, but they're both through into the semis, so there you go. Uh, and Hala, I mentioned Sinner and Med going through, and of course they lost because uh, that's what they do when I back them uh, routinely on this podcast. Uh, Sinner adds another retirement to the resume. The thing about that too is like Sinner has really adopted the Alcaraz
1: and, and Nadal model. eh? when losing and when in doubt, just just don't take the loss like a like a grown up. Be like, oh, I'm too hurt and quit. It's just it's just it, it's routine with these guys. It's kind of sad actually. But uh, yeah, he
0: uh, left thigh slash groin injury, 52 minutes into the match. Of course. RBA is deep into this after beating Medvedev. I know the Bet Rivers pod, uh, Nigel Seedley, Sean Calvert, those guys have a pretty sizable 40 to 1 on him. So good on those guys. Great pod. Check that out. I don't feel like we're in competition. I feel like we're a community. So love spreading the word. The more the merrier, I say. Helps us.
1: Yeah. Elevate the quality content because there's some stuff out there that's
0: Not as quality. So, exactly. Always good to to promote the quality stuff. All right, we're going to dig into these semifinals at both sites after I talk to you about Spotify for podcasters. All right, well, let's start with Queen's Club, London. Alex Dimonor is even money against Holger Runa, the two-seed, who is minus 125. Dimonor is a slight dog here. I mean, this is a bet on principle. I mean, Runa obviously is, you know, trending up on grass. Picked up a nice win today against Musetti. Uh, but he was down 1-4, does his medical timeout thing. Suddenly, he's all better and storms back to take that 6-4. Musetti is still learning on grass, too. He, he's just picking up wins for the first time this grass season. So, not exactly like, I don't know, a mind-blowing win for Runa today. A nice win, though. Also worth noting that he had to save set points in the second set
1: on top of that 1-4 four, four comeback in the first.
0: Demonor, he's a grass player. Grass title. He's 23-15 and 15 on grass. Has a 22%... Break percentage, 84% hole percentage. He's 10 and four in the last year on the surface with a 29% break percentage and 14 matches in the last year. 29% break percentage on grass. Oof! it's just, I mean, Demon is a, a, a top player. Let's, let's be real. I mean, he's a top 20 player, so it's not like he's a slouch or even just a grass specialist. I would say he's more of a fast court specialist. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a great price. <laughs> always always a dangerous returner now. He's played, you know, Hugo Delien,
1: Christian Garin twice, although he lost one of those, to be fair. A lot of these breaks have come against, like I said, you know, Garin, Deleuze, Liam Brody, Lazlo and then a F-ton of breaks against Diego Schwartzman in this match. So a lot of lighter servers, but, I mean, Holger's got a good serve. I'm not sure it's... That big, I, mean, I don't think it's unreturnable for for a returner of of Demonar's caliber. So, probably still plays. Wouldn't expect twenty nine percent here. Probably expects that we're down around the fifteen to twenty percent mark. But that could be enough. That could be enough to get him through. Plus, again, Runa not that convincing in his in his match win over Lorenzo Musetti. I mean, Musetti made a lot of silly mistakes, a lot of errors on simple balls. Kind of looked like Gregor Dimitrov in a way, which is not a compliment because Dimitrov did that against Alcaraz as well. So. I think, uh, think R is certainly worth a look here between his form. Uh, he took down a great grass competitor in Manorino today, although he's had his struggles closing that out. He was up a set and break, blew it, lost the second, early break in the in the third, almost coughed that up once or twice along the way. So he had his his troubles, but Adrian Manorino stylistically is a perfect fit on grass, has that lefty game, lefty component to his game, and is, is really tough just from the baseline, like as a grinder. So, I mean, that's a great a great win,
0: regardless of whether it was in two or three. Runa, in the last year, six grass matches, break percentage of 12%. Now, he's holding at 87%, though. So, I mean, his serve is playing up. And that includes a win against Ryan Peniston
1: and Lorenzo Muzzetti, neither of whom are the biggest servers in the world. His first wins on grass were this week. Peniston twice last year as well in Eastbourne and Marcos Girone. He has not really played, and booster Busta, he hasn't even played a big server in his career on grass yet, other than Maxime Cressy. I know people are going to jump on that from the first round here, but that's the only one he's really played that is a huge server. And you're still seeing that, what, 11, what you say, 11 or 12%? Either way, not
0: great considering the caliber of
1: opponents he's had in the serves.
0: All right, we're going to be bouncing around a bit. Let's pivot over to Paula, where we have Alexander. Zverev taking on Alexander Bublik for the fourth time in their career. Bublik is plus 220 on the money line as the dog. Zverev is a minus 275 favorite. The total is at 23. The game spread is three. Bublik leads the head-to-head two to one. Now, I know we're not head-to-head guys here, traditionally speaking, um, but we do look at it when it matters. And both wins were on the quick conditions of indoor hard courts. Uh, 2021 20, in Rotterdam and 2022 at the Montpellier final. The final I thought was interesting because Vera played like three hours of tennis before before that final. So he was pretty fresh. I think he beat like Emer in like literally under an hour <laughs> in his like first match there. There's something crazy like that. And, and Bublik just uh, straight up beat him. So we're coming into quick conditions and there's a potential for a closed roof as well mm. here i don't know if that roof's going to be on i that was one thing i should mention before i i, I left out of the, the the preview that i need to take a an l on or apologize for i didn't mention the roof in our overview I, I will not make that mistake moving forward now zverev did pick up a a win against Bublik this year in monte carlo on clay but oh, in three sets so it took three sets to down this guy who's traditionally hashtag not good on clay and alexander Bublik versus Zverev now Zverev did generate 17 break points in that match and Bublik only six. So maybe the, the three sets is a, a little misleading in terms of how lopsided that was, but still, good effort there from Bublik and and in conditions he doesn't typically thrive in. What do you think about this matchup, John?
1: I think more important than any of the head to head stuff or whatever is is the fact that Sasha just hasn't well, Sasha Zverev, I should say, because it's the battle of Sasha's. Um Zverev hasn't looked particularly impressive for me. His win over team was just, it was very land my first serve, went a ton of points behind that. My backhand is is looking much better, especially on grass when I flatten it out. His forehand was actually pretty poor that day. I'm not going to give him a ton of credit for it. There were a lot of balls that were neutral rallies that he put like several inches long, not trying to paint, not trying to hit with depth, and he just missed a few times. Like they were bad. A lot of netted balls as well. Again, Shapovalov, he didn't need to do anything. So it was a dominant win, but it was again... Land your first serve. Let Shapovalov beat himself. And so I'm not that convinced. I think I was going to... I was coming... I wanted to come into the pod and talk about how he's the king of winning... At at the moment, anyway, he's the king of winning ugly. He just has not really had... I can't think off the top of my head of a a performance where he's been dominant.
0: Right? Even today Um, against Jari, he only won 45% of his second serve points in a straight set win. So, I mean... The door was open there for Jari to, to climb back in. And like you said, of just ugly guts it out. Yeah, I mean the Tiafo
1: match at the French Open was ugly. Dimitrov was fairly uh dominant. Etcheverry was you know, again four sets. It wasn't the cleanest match from him. He got smacked around by Casper Rude. He he dominated Alex Molchan. Like <sighs> Lloyd Harris, he really struggled, especially with the serves down the tee, especially with the Lloyd Harris, a flat, quick. Player was throwing a little bit of topspin or a little bit of spin on his serves to go with the pace, and it was driving Zverev nuts. Like seven six seven six six one against a guy who's been hurt for a long time uh, and is still far from one hundred percent, and not on his favorite surface, it is not a good win. Like there are just not many good wins for Alexander Zverev to this point. Eubanks on clay, even if it's at a bit of altitude. Uh, Yibing Wu via retirement again on clay. JJ Wolf in a, a very close two-setter on slow clay. Dropped a set to David Goffin in Rome. Like, there's just not a lot here that that tells me Zara's been good. Now, on the other, on the flip side, he has won a freaking ton of matches since Madrid. You got to give him that. At, but that's my my issue here is that if Bublik is motivated, he's got the serve. He's got the talent to keep one to keep things close. The serve keeps things close. His movement, his ability to actually play prolonged rallies when he's engaged, will also make him very competitive here. Quick conditions are his favorite, and. I almost feel like it's not just his preference and that his game suits it, but mentally where he gets so erratic, the longer the points are, the more frustrated, the more time they take, the more time the match goes on. It's like a ticking time bomb, right? If you can get that match done before it goes off, you got a good shot at winning it. But if you're going to play 40 minutes for, for seven or eight games, like on clay, you're, you're the, the longer it goes, the more likely you are that, he, that he's going to set off and you're going to lose because he's just, He's just going to throw in the towel. So I think there's a, there's a lot of things I like about Bublik here, and the price is probably the number one. I I cannot cannot see how this is above like a plus one forty. All reputational. That that that's the only reason I can think of why Bublik could be at plus two hundred here. He's looked good this week when he's engaged. He's got a very very strong game. I can't imagine he's engaged and he's like locked in for multi, three three rounds and then all of a sudden he's like ah, I don't care anymore in the semifinals of, of a tournament. Like, that to me doesn't compute, even for Bublik, who who can surprise you on any given day. So yeah, I I do like Bublik there at plus two hundred, plus two twenty. I think now some books.
0: Uh yeah, I mean plus two twenty. Actually, uh, Bovana has it at plus two twenty, and and for once, Bet Online has the shorter dog here at plus two hundred. So a l- little roll reversal from those sites. I feel like Bet Online typically has the larger dog numbers. The weird thing is, I first of all, my pick is a, a, a small. A small play on Bublik plus 220. That's my official pick. But we always talk about the dog and over combos to kind of hedge a little bit. I um, I honestly feel like dog money line and then Zverev minus three is like the hedge. Because it feels like if Bublik loses, he'll just tank out. And, and Zverev will get the spread. You know what I mean? And I, I was wondering about this, too, because and if
1: Zverev loses... A lot of the times when, because here's the here's the tough part about winning as ugly as he has, right? Is if you're even a little bit off, that ugly turns into a lopsided loss, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. So if he's gonna lose, I feel like Bublik's just gonna beat him like six four six three. Bublik has broken everyone he's faced this week in every set. I believe even the tiebreak he lost. I think he to charge, I think he had a break lead in that set as well. I'm not sure though, but I, I believe he's broken in every set. Uh, he's played this week now. Zverev has a big serve, is winning a ton behind his first serve. But like I like I said, I mean that that's part of the that comes with the territory of winning ugly. Is if you're not playing a particularly strong game, you get your ass kicked and you're not setting that match over. We saw it against Taro Daniel. We've seen it multiple times this year already from Zverev. So that's that's the kind of uh, danger. You, or it was Struf, pardon me, that that had the second set tiebreak. I'm not sure if he had a break in there or not. I think he did because I think Struof broke him to start the second set. So he had to break back to get that to a tie break. So he has broken in every single set he's played, I'm pretty sure, uh, so far this week. Zverev, as good as his serve is, his forehand has been really weak. It can be rushed and and Bublik has a great forehand to be able to do that in cross-court exchanges. And yeah, like you said, Zverev's second serve kind of, almost compensates in a negative way for his first serve being so strong. It opens the door for a guy like Bublik who has been surprisingly strong on return this week, plus comfort on the surface. This goes back to where we started this to bring this full circle. We know Bublik likes quick surfaces, whether it's grass, indoor hard courts, quick outdoor courts. Zverev probably prefers, you know, your slower hards. He's good everywhere. He's an all-quarter. He's got a well-rounded game. He's got a huge serve. He's got a, a powerful backhand. But in his career, probably would be more comfortable or probably prefer to play on things like clay or slow hard, so you've got a bit of a surface advantage here, in my opinion as well.
0: Bublik in his last sixteen matches on grass has a twenty six percent break percentage. Now clay he has a thirteen, hard he only has a sixteen. So uh, I mean grass is his surface. Zverev, to be fair, career is at twenty two percent and almost. Yeah, we can thank Chapovala for no showing. Oh Shapo. never Shapo. But yeah, I mean, honestly, though, like like betting Bublik is always a a, a rocky proposition. Now I am a little annoyed that he got the first set win against center today after I backed it last week (laughs) and he got and he he lost that one for me. But he is like a really good player, like a talented shot making player when he has it all together. It's just you rarely see it. And I I think, well, he's a
1: dog or pass guy, right?
0: And he's a, a, a nice dog here against someone I, I enjoy fading at this point. He's played
1: every match so far as either a dog or a pick or close to a pick. Like he's the slightest of favorite. Against, by the by the time the market closed, he was a slight favorite against Goffin, but there was a long time you could have him at like minus 120, minus 125. Close to a pick. Chorich, same thing. Closes a slight fade. There's a long time you could have had him from, even, from minus from 110 to even money. He's 4-1 and one this year on grass. If you're blind betting Bublik on grass this year, you're way, way up. Especially if you bet him against Sinner at a book that pays after the first set. Completes. Like that's even if you better close, close somehow your way up uh, on public on matches. So I don't mind taking a shot here um, with a guy who clearly knows how to play on grass. And again, I don't know how you get to a semifinal playing well, motivated, breaking serve consistently and then decide, OK, now I'm good. I'm going to tank out. Right. So I almost feel like just from a logical perspective, we're, we're kind of protected from the typical public tank job here. Not a guarantee he can tank out of a final. We saw him tank out of a final. Who was it in, on indoor hard courts last year? Remember on match point, he flipped his racket around and hit it with his handle? Was that against Emer? Or was that against Goffin? Uh, I think it was the Mets The Mets final. Might have been two years ago, but I'm sure of it. It, it drove me nuts. It was against Lorenzo Sonego after losing the first set uh, tiebreak. So he can tank out late stages in tournaments, but it's less likely, which is what we're playing here. We're playing likelihoods and probabilities. So... I I would say Bublik is a good play. All right, John, do you have any other numbers up? Um, nothing yet on Alcaraz. Corda, I, I I'm pretty sure we can we can just say it though. in, in going back to London, Corda is going to be a sexy pick, right? Alcaraz isn't used to the grass yet. He had to come back from a breakdown uh, against Dimitrov. He was close against Rinderknech. There's going to be a lot of narratives that are going to love Corda, and to be honest, they kind of make sense in this spot. Like I don't hate. The idea of betting Sebastian Corda at, at a nice plus money number, if, so it all depends on where that number comes out. It won't come out at plus one twenty; it should be a lot higher than that. But I have this feeling you're going to see a lot of Sebastian Corda on your timeline overnight. I'll probably just end up passing there because I'm not as—I mean, for some reason we're treating Corda the way we treated Medvedev after he won on clay in Rome. Did you did you know? Well, you know because I mentioned this in the chat that since 2018, Daniil Medvedev has won two tournaments at an event off of hard courts. That are below the Masters level, so a two fifty or five hundred off of hard courts. He's only won two tournaments since since the start of twenty eighteen, Rome this year and Majorca a few years ago. So, it's like we just jump so quickly on the not a hard court specialist anymore. Forgetting the fact that Sitsi Plas played like dirt and he barely got by him, and Rune played like dirt and he barely got by him. But we're doing that with Corda. I think we're jumping on the bandwagon really quickly, and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a little more hesitant to to kind of jump on that, um or or follow people onto that bandwagon. Perhaps Corda is one of the top 10 grass court players right now. I need to see a little bit more first though. So we'll, we'll, that's that's going to be a great uh, barometer
0: measuring stick in terms of that second London match, but I don't have any lines at the moment. Because we've been a, 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 right a lot lately, I'm actually walking into this episode like seven correct picks in a row. Carlos Alcaraz is going to beat Sebastian Corda. He's going to win this tournament. I'm not disagreeing with you. He, what what price eviscerate... would, you, would you take him to? I mean, if I have anything under minus 200, which I think we could get potentially by the end, I'm 100% playing, playing him. I might even lay some games. Here's the thing. Doesn't Corda have wrist issues? Now, I know the, the points are going to be shorter and the match isn't going to be as long, but dude, Alcaraz was giving Novak like some fits. Like In the second set of that French Open semi that he won, Novak's wrist was starting to get real bothered from Alcaraz's power. So I'm not saying that that's essentially going to happen or that's going to happen again, but that is a risk coming into this match. And I just, he eviscerated Laheshka. He eviscerated Dimitrov. These guys have been playing well on grass, holding. You mentioned the numbers last time for Laheshka on serve. Now, different opponents, bit of a step up in class when it comes to Alcaraz, but 6-2, 6-3, was it? I mean, he like easily covers Dimitrov. Coming in en fuego into this match. Playing great tennis this week. Now, again, step up in class when we get to Alcaraz. Wins in straight sets. He did drop a, a game. Here's the thing about Alcaraz, too. Even if he gets broken, he finds a way to get it back. Like, he's fucking awesome. Like, I know that Like we don't have a lot of grass data on him. He's learning. The kid looks great, man. How are you going to beat him? He gets to everything. He has so much power. He's figured it
1: out. I also think court serve has looked... I mean, it's grass. Everyone's serve looks good when you can land the first one. But I'm still not sold on on his serve just yet. And if you don't have that big serve to hold Alcaraz off, you're going to find yourself under pressure consistently. Now, the the, the Dimitrov match, again, the difference is, though, like, Dimitrov coughed up a lot of easy points in crucial situations. 30-all, serving 3-1 in the second set. He kind of just froze on a really short ball at the net, he saw across the other side, went to go one way, froze, and then pushed it halfway up the net because it's Gregor Dimitrov, and that's what he does. And then on break point in the very next game, he ends up in a in a neutral rally. Looks like he's he's actually kind of dictating it a little bit. Ends up hitting a slice, again, below the tape into the net, a backhand slice. And even he knew how bad it was because he, he kind of let out a frustrated scream. Korda's not going to give him those points, but at the same time, I don't think Korda has the, that kind of the serve plus one and net game to hold off Alcaraz as much as Dimitrov does. So I'm with you. I kind of want to see what this price comes out. I think because it's Alcaraz, just because it's Alcaraz, we're going to see like a minus 250. But there's a lot of love for Korda out there a couple weeks into, into you know winning tennis matches again. What are we, two weeks into him winning matches? Did he win a match last week? Did he play last week? Korda? yeah, this is the first we're seeing of like consistent winning, though. So I'm a no, little more hesitant. So I'll, we'll see if the market bets Corda down and if he's a popular dog against Alcraz and we can jump in,
0: yeah, he will be. First of all, uh, I was on, you know, I've been pushing Corda on this podcast for weeks. I, I've been trying as I said last time, I've been trying to get ahead of him. I bet him against Diafo. I liked him. I like him for Wimbledon, to be honest. Like, I think he's a a good pick to get deep into Wimbledon but again health issues come in he's one of these like guys that always gets hurt especially when best of five comes around it'll be a different sport but and I think he, I thought it was a great bet today versus Nori I like Corda. I think Corda's great dude Alcaraz is another level man and I know Korda has a win against him on clay but then uh, last year but then Alcaraz turned around and like pistol whipped him <laughs> 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 Remember the wind. Yeah. Remember the wind in Monte Carlo for that match too.
1: For Corda, that that Corda beat Alcaraz and completely neutralized, kind of that that play. not made it. I wouldn't say neutralized the playing field, or or I'm mixing metaphors there. I think, or or idioms or sayings or whatever. But you get my, you catch my drift. But it it a lot. It, it closed the gap for Corda a lot in that matchup. Plus, he is a talented kid. Not taking anything away from him. But yeah, that that wind in Monte Carlo was especially noticeable that day. Again, context, caveats, all the, all the things that you need to kind of take into consideration when you look over former scores and at head-to-head results, right? We can't just say, well, Korda beat him on clay, Monte Carlo, so he's going to beat him again. I don't. Know, I know that's not what you're doing, but there are going to be people out there, trust me. There will be people out there who do exactly that, as if clay is remotely comparable to grass uh, and as if w- the win didn't completely change the entire complexion of that matchup. So always worth noting, uh, but I- I'm with you. I think Alcaraz. If we can get some too much quarter love in the market, I'd love to see Alcaraz get
0: down to a playable number. I just think that Alcaraz, I think that the narrative that he's still learning on grass is kind of overblown at this point. I think. Do you have a line on the other one? Yes. Uh
1: Bautista Agut and Rublev. Rublev about minus 145 at the moment. The liquidity is low at Pinnacle, so it's jumping around a bunch. Open around minus 160-ish, down to minus 145 now. Uh Bautista Agut plus 130 again at Pinnacle Bet365 is posted now. They're in the minus 150 plus 120 split range. Of course, they take you know a larger percentage for their VIG. So that's why the numbers seem they're both worse because they are both worse uh, than, than Pinnacles. But um, that's an interesting one. I think Bautista Good getting a lot of credit here for that Medvedev win. I, I wrote up Medvedev. I had him huge today. I ended up with a break-even or minus like $20, 30 day because of that match. And um, Daniil Medvedev. Let's just say it. that backhand works on clay with his defensive nature. Loopy gets everything back. Does not work on grass. It doesn't. And this is why, like, Medvedev won Majorca. Outside of that, he's never been that strong on grass. He's got a huge serve that works. He can dial up some pace on his forehand. He gets a lot back. Like, all these things are great across all courts. But the fact is, that backhand, if if you can beat him in backhand-to-backhand exchanges, you're going to beat him. Like, Bautista Agut thoroughly dominated him on that wing today. And he was the better player from start to finish. Medvedev had two break points in the match. One of them came in the very first game that he broke in. Didn't see another one until like late second set. Uh it was absolutely nuts. Um how Gut was just giving it to him the first serve he was landing. He was placing well and winning a ton of them and he landed like 80% of them. That's you're it's always going to be tough to win that match uh, when your opponent lands that that first serve that frequently, but not that impressed with meds. And I don't, I don't know how much weight I really put into that win for RBA. Like Andrea Vavasori, Brennan Nakashima, good win, but it was super tight. And it was against a Nakashima who hasn't been the greatest this year. Daniil Medvedev, you know, again, not that, that great on the backhand wing. Rublev doesn't have a great backhand, but he can at least flatten it out and attack with it. And he'll, he'll put pressure on you with it. he won't let you just completely run the, the rallies from that wing. Right. And that's what Medvedev let him do, is just keep bossing the baseline. And then eventually he found a nice short one he could hit down the line with plenty of margin for error for a winner. That's was the recipe to success for Bautista Agut today. I kind of like Rublev here. I thought he played a great match against sport The first set, it came down to one unforced error at 30-40. The 30-all the point Greek with a great return on off of, of a terrific first serve, but he had a, an even better return that, that got deep, got the, the rally to neutral, won the point. And then... The break point, Rublev actually looked for a pass. I think he either netted it or sent it about a couple inches wide, trying to go down the line, and that was the break. Other than that, he was pretty spot on until Greek Sport just let it all hang out in the in the final few games down or when he was, when Rublev was up five, two in that third set, Greek sport just decided no more margin for error. I'm just going to rip hammer everything and see what happens. And he just couldn't miss for a couple of games. And Bautista just doesn't have that power, right? He doesn't have that natural like pace and power to his shots. Um, So he can't just decide to play without margin for error. His whole game is predicated on margin for error and point construction. We'll see how like, and the other thing too, is Greek sport found some success with the backhand slice, which again, something that Bautista really executed well. Medvedev's hanging out two, three feet behind the baseline. I'm just going to leave a slice right behind the service box in no man's land. Make him come in and hit a desperation defensive shot because he's got a, a lot of ground to cover and that ball's not bouncing up off the off the surface. Medvedev is a guy that stays pretty close to the baseline. You hit that, that backhand slice against him, with, which Greek sport tried to do. He loves coming in, taking that ball down below his waist and just ripping his forehands. And he'll completely take over and seize control of the point. Different opponent here. I kind of like... Rublev against Bautista Agut at a minus 145. You've got the power advantage. Uh, I, I think matchup-wise, Bautista Agut can't utilize the same kind of strengths that he used against Medvedev because uh, that just it won't work against Rublev. He's a different player and, and doesn't play that far behind the baseline. So, yeah, the minus 145 on Rublev is something I'll, I'll, I'll be looking into and considering for sure.
0: These guys are 4-4 four and four in their head-to-head. And, uh, RBA has been pretty bad in 2023. It does have a win. At the top of the year against Rublev in Adelaide, one four six six three six four. Quicker conditions have typically been an RBA win, also one in Doha, which that's kind of RBA's tournament though. Uh, in 2021, six three six three. Uh, Rublev has won all their clay matches, and that's like the reason that that's like 2020 till now. And I understand. This is kind of like, not a bad matchup for, for Rublev, but just RBA can kind of rally all day and Rublev cannot. But I, I'm kind of in agreement with you, man. Like I kind of like Rublev. I just feel like he's going to find a way to win this thing. Through winners, uh, he's more likely to hold serve to me. But what, One thing I just noted, look at the ATP head-to-head here. You know, these guys have, actually Rublev has more career prize money by $200,000. They're both at $17 million in terms of career prize money won. RBA is thirty-five. million. Rublev is 25. I will
1: say, too, that that match earlier in the season, as much as RBA did win that, not only was he a set down, he was a set and breakdown. And as soon as you said that in Adelaide, that triggered me because I remember I was like, I was on that match, and I lost that from a set and break up, didn't I? And I did. Uh, he was 6-4, 3-1 up against uh, Bautista Gutt, dominating, and it was a three-unit bet. So, yeah, that one stuck in my mind a little bit. Uh, Bautista Gutt came back there, but Rublev did dominate the start of that match in quick condition. So worth noting again, yes, Bautista who takes it would still venture that Rublev, the match was on Rublev's racket, right? That was not a, that was a situation where if Rublev just keeps playing his, not even like top peak level, just keeps playing the way he did, strong, quick stro- uh, quick first strike aggressive tennis without committing a ton of errors, he wins and he couldn't do it. He just completely choked it away. So, I mean, again, grain of salt with that, with that
0: head to head result. Think about this though. Plus two fifty. I think Josh Gross posted that he got him at plus three thirty at Open uh, versus Medvedev RBA. Now he's plus one thirty versus Rublev. Uh, Does that make sense?
1: No, that's what I mean. Like you're going to get the name the the reputation bias for all the top players on grass like crazy, where they just they don't deserve it as much. Medvedev has not been in his career that great on grass. Like point blank, he hasn't been terrible. Like he's not terrible anywhere. Right. That's the nature of being a top, top player. But you're not in, like infallible or, or, you know, impossible to upset. And keep in mind, Medvedev at this venue beat Bautista Goot 6-2, 6-4 last year. And then Bautista Goot kicked his ass in, in Majorca. This was kind of like a grass court <laughs> rubber match, if you will. But he's not someone that is unbeatable. Right. Tim Van Reithhoven beat him as a huge dog. Hubert Hurkacz beat him as a dog. Everyone who beats him beats him as a dog. Right. But that's the whole point we're trying to make here is that he does lose enough on grass and frequently enough. If you find the right spot with the right player, you're never going to fade him with Gofan. You're not fading with Ivashka um, or Gilles Simone. So if you, if you wait for players who have a good chance against him, you're always going to get plus two, plus 300. I was on the wrong side today in terms of the result, but like a win against Medvedev is, is, isn't is as impressive, I think, as, as a lot of people are going to, to make it out to be. And that's exactly the point here is like Medvedev is not that far ahead of Rublev on quick surface or on grass courts, on quick grass courts, right? On quick hard courts probably is, but on quick grass courts. I don't know how Bautista Agu goes from like a 28% chance to 45% in
0: this situation. It's
1: He's still the second best player who's having a down year.
0: Rublev all time is 14 and 7 on grass. Has a 23% break percentage. He's not a slouch. I mean, I know no. that RBA is a, a storied uh, grass player um, with great grass stats himself, but I think Rublev is a, a short favorite, it makes sense here. And yeah, it might I I get just, steamed I, down, I, down too. I would anticipate that. I mean, well, I mean, Bratista got a lot
1: of love against Medvedev, though. Now, again, like you said, that was because he was at a ridiculous price over plus 300 to open. Uh, but still, I mean, like even Rublev struggled last year in his one match on the grass. Remember, he was banned from all the English tournaments, so he could only play Halle, lost to Shvili, who is one of those guys that can beat anyone on any, on any given day. But the year before, he was in the final here in Halle, lost to Umber. He beat, you know, Shvili. Uh, ironically enough, beat Jordan Thompson, a pretty good grass quarter. At least on, these, on, on grass, he's a like established tour level pro in my mind on grass Lloyd Harris before his injury and he dominated him. That's a good win. He's, he's not a bad, he beat be as well in Hollis. So there are some good wins in Rublev's past. His game makes total sense, right? Big first serve, big forehand, aggressive mindset, keep point short, all things that are rewarded on grass courts. I think he should be a, a larger favorite here, but you're going to get that whole Bautista Agut just beat Medvedev. See, there's going to be that overreaction, even though it's, It's an impressive win, but not as impressive, I think, as the market's going to make it out to be, as I mentioned earlier.
0: All right. To recap, our picks for the semifinals tomorrow in Hala, we like Bublik at plus 220 on the money line. Small, though. It is Bublik. (laughs) Don't get yourself overextended. Uh, And we like Rublev as a short favorite versus RBA. In London, we are looking for a way to play Carlos Alcaraz versus sebastian corda if the price is right and we are all over demon at even or plus money i think you could play that up to minus 130 and feel comfortable to be honest because i do feel like this team is about to come in on that but if it gets up to like minus 140 minus 150 i don't know that hopping in on a truly atrocious number is is worth it but as of now it definitely is what about our boy kubler he's playing in a final Challenge level. I got to go back and watch
1: to see if uh, his his MTOS were serious or not. I think he took a couple of them today, so little concerned about
0: about that. But uh, is that why he's the dog at plus one twenty versus the only reason Offner? to me that and
1: Offner has you know monster serve. But again, if I if if I go back and I see that it wasn't too too bad, then I'll probably
0: then I'll probably go and back Kubler as a dog here. Want to give a big shout out to uh, the Mullet King at King underscore underscore Mullet for making a McCoobler gift. <laughs> that was awesome. With Michael man. Scott, too. With Michael, With Michael
1: Scott from The Office in the blonde wigs. So we got Michael Scott. We got a McGruber reference. We got McCoobler in there. That's just 10 out of 10 gift making.
0: Uh, MP9 legend. <laughs> All right. Follow John. At Jared Tweets Tennis. At Tibbetts Tennis. He posts plays daily. Follow us at MP9 Tennis. Do us a favor if you like what you heard and you've been winning with us. Give us a five-star rating or a review even. A review would be great, especially if you're on Apple. A written review saying, hey, I like this podcast. They seem like they know what they're talking about. would help us out a ton. Until next time, see you on the court.